Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the jobs data and how that impacts the 10-year yield and then mortgage rates. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HousingWire with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM. Melinda, what types of products and enhancements has UWM rolled out this year to help set brokers up for success? It's been a big year for us of rolling out product updates and some enhancements to our tools. Um, Our whole goal always is to make the broker succeed in whatever cycle is around. So we uh, we do everything we can to focus on the broker experience and really importantly, focus on the borrower experience. So a few of the things we've done this year, um, Safe Check Complete uh, has been a a recent rollout for us. Our 1% down program has been an absolute hit to really help in that affordable space and to help people get into homes who couldn't otherwise do so. Uh, We've had some great product expansions with our uh, bank statement program as well as our jumbo program to allow more flexibility and uh, to fit more borrowers into there. So it's really been a great year. We've done a lot of great things that we're really happy about, really proud of. A lot of robust products and listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. We are recording this on Friday morning. We just got the labor data. What does this look like? Good labor report. Headline was a beat, even though there's some seasonal quirks to it, uh, but positive revisions. Wage growth is cooling down. And I think in a normal setting, this would be perfectly fine. But like we talked about a few weeks ago, itchy fingers, right? As soon as... uh, uh, the headline report came out, bond traders sold off the 10-year yield. 10-year yield spiked 12 basis points uh, uh, right up, right off of that. And uh, again, this is part of this dynamic for, for us talking about the labor market always goes back to the COVID-19 recovery model that we'll get all the jobs back that we lost to COVID uh, by uh, September uh, of 2022. But we have so much leeway make up uh, labor demand until we get to like 157 to 159 million, we're just making up the trend. And I think that's the surprising thing for some people. Even if you do some positive revisions, all these things about the labor market, like breaking just aren't true. And I always fall back to jobless claims. Jobless claims data for the last few months have been getting better. There's no time recorded in US history after World War II where the labor market is breaking and jobless claims data is getting better. It's never occurred once. So uh, even if you want to take away the job openings data that came out uh, uh, big, job growth is slowing, but it's slowing like it should, right? Just because population growth where we are, we're getting back to normal. But I think the problem now is now that the 10-year yield has spiked up, Every, any good labor report is just going to be pushed really hard right now. So I think that's that's going to be the uh, issue going out in the future is that any real positive data will be looked at uh, uh, in a negative way for housing just because the 10-year yield can break up higher. Well, and this has been a wild week. So, you know, how the 10-year yield um, is taking this information is also super important because we have had such a crazy week with the bond market. You know, it's um, part of not being a Fed pivot person 
was always the belief that the Fed needs, or not needs, but wants to attack the labor supply. But here's the problem with that theory. Wage growth has been slowing down, right? Um, Wage growth has been slowing down by itself, uh, even with a tighter labor market, even with jobless claims near 200,000. That was supposedly not supposed to happen. So I think you, you, the Fed has probably got themselves trapped here where the 10-year yield has gone against them. Real yields are very restrictive now, but the job the jobs data is just kind of pushing along. So they're kind of in a bind. Now, what happened this week is that you've had four Fed presidents, Treasury Secretary Yellen, talk about, hey, listen, we might not have higher... I think they're a little bit mindful of the 10-year yield spiking up. But if you focus on labor supply and this continues, you have to imagine the the bond market is just going to go with it uh, until the labor market breaks. So what is the Fed going to do? What can the Fed do right now? What could they do if they wanted to make the situation better? They have to do what we've always talked about. They have to endure. And when you talk about enduring, that's something they should have done uh, months ago. But when you're playing with fire and you say you're going to, you want to attack the labor supply and the data that you want to get worse isn't getting worse, it's getting better, you, you're, you got a problem. If wage growth had been accelerating higher, that's a different equation, but it's not. Uh, wage growth is slowing down, job openings is still falling. It's just going to take time to get what they want unless you break the labor market. And I think that just it's just a this is why targeting labor and wages um, coming off of a COVID-19 situation where you're still in makeup demand with the balance sheets that we have in America. It's it's problematic in that sense. And that's that's always been the concern for many months is that they don't know how to endure. And they've talked about, okay, we're we're restrictive on real rates now, and then the 10-year yield jumps on them. So in some ways, this might give them cover for what they want. They could probably come out and go, oh, the labor market is still strong. We need to you know, be hawkish. But that that just goes back to my original point. They want to break the labor market, and the labor market isn't breaking because they're still stuck in the 1970s model. And all these other data lines are going back to pre-pandemic levels, and their models told them it wouldn't. And this is this is the this is the painful thing about watching an institution work off of the 1970s when it was a global pandemic, and the marketplace is just trying to work itself out, especially with shelter inflation. Um, that they've started to talk about more and more, but I think that forward guidance from them put them in a box. I think it's going to be very hard for them to get out of it unless they kind of all unite. Which most likely we're not going to we're not going to hear anything until the Fed meetings. I mean, we literally had four Fed presidents and yell and try to like, hey, listen, everyone relax. But um, this is the honey badger labor market that we've talked about, and there's some structural dynamics that are different until we get back to 157 to 159 million people working because that's where we should have been if there was no COVID. So just think of it as makeup demand. Job growth is slowing. It's going to slow over the next 12 months, but that would be perfectly normal with our population growth. Really interesting that you bring up the fact that maybe it's their whole model that's broken because you know, you've been talking about this for a while that the, this is not the 1970s. And if you treat it like the 1970s, you're going to come up with the wrong solution. And I think that's what I think we're seeing now is that they they weren't prepared for the way that this was going to work out. I think when you when you focus on 
or think about wages spiraling out of control and that too many jobs is a bad thing. <laughs> It, it it becomes a it becomes a problem when you're in makeup demand, and that's that's this is why we we write about this all the time. Makeup demand, makeup demand, makeup demand. If there was no COVID nineteen, we should be at one hundred fifty seven to one hundred fifty nine million. That would be normal. There's nothing actually wrong with that. That's just coming back to the long term trend. And if you don't incorporate that in your own model, then you would think job growth is. You know, the labor market is super hot. Wages are out of control. Average average hourly wages have been slowly moving lower since January of 2022. So the whole thing just blew up on their face. And this is this is the problem with going back to a time in history and thinking that we're going to do it this way. Um, so I think I think there's there. I, I I'd be very interested to see what they really think. Because under under these circumstances, with jobless claims almost at two hundred thousand again, you would have to see wage acceleration, and it's not it's not occurring. And I just think this is this is just such a unique period that you have to give unique circumstances uh, uh, to there. This is why we are so detailed on our COVID nineteen recovery model on the labor market, the honey badger labor market, the job openings ten million. We adjust to the demographic profiles of the United States and just take the trend line of job growth and population growth and looks kind of normal. So it's just more of an issue now when the bond market is in this stage, itchy fingers, right? In a sense, the soft landing that they want gets a little bit more problematic for them because the bond market is saying, listen, you told us you want to attack labor. So you're going to have to keep rates higher enough to attack the labor market. And it's just, it's, it's unfortunate that we are here, but this is, this is the path they chose and that's the path the bond market has taken on them. That's the path short-term rates have taken on them. And we just got to take the data one day at a time now. But uh, uh, it's the honey badger labor market for a reason. And uh, uh, this is why the whole f- we won't pivot, the Fed or the Fed won't pivot is based on the labor market and jobless claims data. So especially when you see four different Fed presidents and Janet Yellen um, coming out this this week, it feels like they've lost control of the narrative and they they don't know what to do. I mean, how do you interpret that? I'm going to give you a really good example. President Daly of the San Francisco Fed basically said, well, bond yields right now is basically one rate hike. They're making stuff up right now. Okay. There is no bond yields rate hike model out there. They're just, they're just making stuff up when they get interviewed. Um, uh, and I, it's such a unique thing because before the Fed meeting, they'd kind of set everything up and said, listen, we're just going to... Uh, uh, keep things uh, at bay because we're restrictive and bond yields got up and and I, I wish I could just show them guys what the labor market is doing isn't doing a super hot labor market it's just recovering back to a trend and that takes some time and it, it's a good thing it's not a bad thing wages aren't spiraling out of control this is not the 1970s and this is I know I, I know I pick on baby boomers but it's just there's a group of people in this country who are stuck in in an old way. And we we say this with the growth rate of inflation falling and the core aspect going to hit the on the shelter side, but um, you don't have to break everything. 
land the plane. But I think once that once that tenure yield broke to the, those those key levels, we're we're just in a different ball game right now. And everyone could have seen, you know, what happened as soon as it drops the whatever we close the tenure yield at. Uh, uh, I we, we we won't know because we're talking about this in the morning. But you could see how itchy the bond market is right now. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, with Ryan Marshall, CEO and founder of Equity Protect, to talk about a very specific and growing kind of fraud risk. Ryan, who is really at risk of deed fraud? So that's a great question. I think we should first state that the people who are not at risk are people that just recently acquired their properties, people that have loans on their properties, often high loan amounts, high loan to values on their properties. Um, Those are people who I would consider as very low risk and people that should probably not consider our service as a service. So as of November of 2022, we've identified 83 million parcels across the nation, which is roughly 54% of the total parcels in the entire country who we've deemed as vulnerable. Uh, These parcels are specifically ones that don't have mortgages, parcels where they're non-owner occupied, properties where the mailing address isn't associated with the site address, um, and they're in some type of vacation area or vacation property area where lawful homeowners wouldn't necessarily know if an appraiser showed up or if somebody just drove by your property and, and did a quick appraisal on it. Thanks, Ryan. Listeners, you can find out more information at equityprotect.com. So let's talk about mortgage rates. We are on Friday morning, um, so we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But this week has already been pretty crazy and historic and, uh, you know, devastating to the real estate and mortgage industry. So are we going to hit eight today, 8%? I don't, I, I don't think we hit 8% today, but we're, we're, we're heading toward there. Um, and again, the, the, one, the best case for 8% mortgage rates, we talked about this, what, 16 months ago. Is that the economy is firm, the labor market doesn't break, um, and you know the one sector that gets hit. Oddly enough, the one sector that the Fed says is recovering is going to get hit even more. Uh, so again, my concern has always been: so far, new listings data has not taken another leg lower. It's still trending at the lowest levels ever in history, but it's. A very orderly decline, and what we don't want to see is another new leg lower. Now, for uh, active inventory growth, again, um, I'm still batting a zero this year uh, uh, with rate. I mean, I was talking about okay, we can get more uh, active inventory growth with rates going higher towards seven percent, but over seven percent, we still haven't been able to pull the eleven to seventeen thousand out. So, uh, I'm just hoping that we just slowly get our stuff back get inventory back to 2019 levels and there's more balance in that. Um, and in this sense, this, this does facilitate that because when you're not a mortgage rate lockdown person like me, you fundamentally believe that higher rates can create more uh, active listings, but it requires demand to get hit. And uh, we saw that last year, um, but this year it's, we're still haven't broken under 4 million existing home sales. That's going to happen but the velocity is different. And that that explains the the slow growth of uh, inventory this year. And the home prices are directly tied to inventory, correct? So you don't see anything happening with home prices until that inventory gets better? This is, you know, it's, it's interesting now that we're in October and 
the velocity of, of price cuts data, the percentages is still lower than last year. Um, and there, there's so many people that are trying to convince people that home prices are going to crash. But you, I, I, I always stress this. The educated class of our society reads. And there's a group of people in the history of the world that don't read, that believe in burning books, that believe knowledge is not power. The manipulation of men in this country um, usually comes from that group. And what occurs is people think Americans are poor and uneducated, that they'll rush to the market and sell and cut, you know, that that doesn't, that hasn't happened for a very long time. That only happens when you're a forced credit seller. So here, higher rates more inventory, price cut percentages can continue. That's that's a very simple basic model. You can track this. That can occur. But this notion of people selling to be homeless when they're doing very good financially, I mean, you, you have to really think about the mental state of some men in this country that think that people who have two jobs, who are doing well, who have a very low housing cost would purposely try to destroy their lives for no reason. Um, and this is part, this is the issue. It, this, this housing cycle right now, what we're dealing with is, is very like hand to hand combat in mud. It's just this buyer versus seller. And, uh, the existing home sales market didn't have the monthly supply spike like the builders have the builders sell their homes as a commodity. So, uh, it, the velocity of price cuts and inventory is it's so much slower this year, but rates are so much higher and housing is more expensive. I think there's where I can understand why that can be confusing, but I always go back to the original premise. It's just really rare to get under 4 million. We're going to get there, but the duration of it, and again, the economy stays firm. The Fed has kind of told us this. Uh, uh, they're not going to pivot until the labor market breaks at least. And in that context, you get the same trends that we've been seeing when rates were getting to seven, above seven, and now here we are again. And it should work that higher rates creates, I mean, it should work. Higher rates, more inventory, price cut percentage, this should this should be the case. It just needs higher rates for longer in the duration. That's, that's what we've always seen in the data. It's just this year has been so slow. Uh, on a lot of the data fronts that uh, I think it's confused a lot of people. So given what you've talking about, the honey badger labor market, right? Do you think the Fed is ever going to accept just a, a normal labor market? From your perspective, we're just trying to get back to a normal level, right? You know, wage growth getting back down toward 3%, job openings data getting back to 7 million, uh, jobless claims, 323,000 four-week moving on. These are things that I'm looking at because those are pre-pandemic levels. Now the quits ratio is back to pre-pandemic levels. That's that's a big deal for them. Um, but I think we, when all of those things get there, it's again labor supply, right? Labor supply they want to grow, and I, I always harp on this: the wage growth is not accelerating higher, even in a tight labor market, right? So this whole fear of wages spiraling out of control or uh, inflation getting embedded so much into prices that wages have to compensate and go higher. This isn't here. If it was here, it's a different case. But um, again, they've done so much so fast. Land a plane. I just think I, I just think they went into this thinking 1970s and it's 2023 pandemic recovery, and this is a little bit more difficult for them to kind of model out. 
Um, but we, we, we harp on this again today. The labor market is tight in their rise and wage growth is cooling down and the growth rate of inflation is cooling down and they are not focusing on that so much. They're focusing on the labor supply. And that's, again, that's, that's, a, that's an issue for the housing market in a sense that they, they're more focused on that than the housing market. The housing market is the sacrificial lamb. Um, so we'll see again with the next Fed meeting, but again, everything is different now because itchy fingers, right? Itchy fingers is a problem. Itchy fingers is a problem, especially if you're in uh, mortgage and real estate, you can just feel like you are the, you know, you're the bystanders. Other people are, 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 you know, doing, pulling all the strings, making things happen and you just have to react. Yes. It's, um, it's an unfortunate reality, but it's the reality that we're we're dealing with. And we just have to take the, again, this is why I focus jobless claims, jobless claims, jobless claims. Everything is around jobless claims data. And the one data that got better since July was jobless claims. And again, nobody cares. And it just, it's, it's just, it's just one of these things post-World War II. I was trying to teach somebody this this morning that if you go at every single economic cycle, jobless claims has to break. Uh, you, we could sit here for four or five years and still have these same arguments, but until jobless claims break, everything changes. And that would require 323,000 on the four week moving average. We're 210 around there. So it's just not, it's just not that kind of the labor dynamics are so much different now. So the next time uh, that you and I speak, we will be on stage doing a live podcast together. But before that, you're giving your keynote um, at Housing Wire Annual. And wow, it's going to be, you, you said you've just revamped the whole thing because of what's going on with mortgage rates. It's, you know, this is this is the first time where my whole presentation will work around the 10-year yield and the labor market and the economy first, because that's, that's the issue, right? Uh, uh, the, I, you know, when I went on CMC very early this year, I said the entire housing market moves around the ten-year yield, right? So that's that's the key, and we're at it. We're at another stage of this uh, a, a game right now. When the ten-year yield broke above four and a quarter, and uh, we have to give it and show it that kind of respect. So the whole presentation on, in Austin is going to try to dumb things down to an understandable uh, economic cycle model and correlate it to what could be the possible effects because uh, this is different. This whole, everything is different. The COVID-19 recovery is different. The labor market's different. The balance sheets are different. There's a lot of things that are different. We have to figure out when does the real estate industry get some relief Um, because it isn't the growth rate of inflation falling that's doing this. It's the labor market that's actually hurting real estate. And oddly enough, Sarah, one of the first articles I ever wrote for Housing Wire uh, before COVID hit was like, you know, if the economy gets better, uh, the ten-year yield can uh, rise, and and that was before even COVID. And the some of the economic data was actually getting better early 2020 uh, uh, before COVID hit. But of course, the COVID nineteen uh, the the whole market was focused on that. But if that wasn't the case, right, you can make a case that ten-year yield should have been uh, rising. But that was a whole that was a different lifetime ago. But here, labor market, labor market, labor market. It's going to be whole discussion about, you know, when do we see some relief on the 10-year yield? Looking so forward to that and also looking to being on stage talking about the mortgage rate lockdown with you in person. I can't wait to meet a lot of our listeners. Sarah, don't take it personally, but, you know, this is... 
it's 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 not gonna be pre- it's not gonna be pretty. Listen, let me just tell you. Let let me just tell our listeners what I uh, what I asked you earlier this week. I was like, Logan, are you a good loser or are you gonna be in a bad mood if I beat you at this debate? See, see Sarah, I I never get myself in a situation that I would know technically I would lose. <laughs> so, and again, I always keep my really really good stuff inside my chest all the like the secret data lines of things that i really really focus on i don't really talk about them too much and this is where i try to get people into a debate that i know they can't win and then all of a sudden all these new variables come in that have never been discussed and all of a sudden the person goes wait you're not gonna have an answer for it but again this is this this is all my work going back to 2010 credit channels run inventory channels and uh, uh, the presentation will will go over all of that. So I wish you luck. Uh, don't take it personally, but uh, this is the body of work on mortgage rates, credit channels, and inventory channels, and uh, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I would say the same thing to you. Don't take it personally, right? Because we're, we're gonna we're gonna have the audience vote at the end. We will see what they think. Okay, we are out of time for today, but thank you so much, Logan. See you next week in person at Hasmore Annual. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.